Inside Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. And welcome back to our second-to-last post-game show here on the Owl Chat Podcast. The Owls fall in their final um, Division One game to Sam Houston State on the road, 24-21 to on a last-minute field goal um, to drop us to 2-6 and six on the season with Virginia Lynchburg remaining on the schedule. I am here joined on the call by my co-host and partner, Mr. John Finer, Coach Nick Parada, and our producer, Mr. Nick Masseroni. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Man, I'm, I can't complain. Um, I went to Athens today to watch the KSU exhibition versus UGA. Um, so I missed the Falcons game. And it's been over 24 hours since the Owls lost. So I'm actually doing pretty well. Um, we got I, I call that the cool down period, which is why we record this on Sunday nights. That's part right. of the reason. Good rule of thumb is to always wait 24 hours before you uh, gather your thoughts and put them out there for the world to hear. We'll call it the Chris Broussard rule. <laughs> Absolutely. We also got women's basketball tomorrow. So, you know, it's not all bad here. Um, so for those who didn't watch the game, we'll run through just a quick, quick recap of this uh, of the order of events, how things uh, ended up the way they did. So for starters, Jerico Washington comes up with an interception almost immediately um, on Sam Houston State's first drive. And that is followed by a 75 yard touchdown run uh, from Michael Benefield, his first of two on the day after another missed field goal from 40 plus yards, something we'll touch on a little bit later. Um, a fumble set the Owls up inside the Sam Houston State 10. Uh, and then Benefield was able to score again to put us up 14 to nothing, uh, this time from three yards out, I believe. Uh, after turning the ball over for the third time in the first half, Sam Houston would finally break through with a Noah Smith touchdown catch to make it 14 to seven. But Kennesaw State was very quick to respond when Jonathan Murphy took a f- keeper 57 yards to put KS- uh, KSU up by two scores again at 21 to seven. Before the half, the Owls had another trip down inside the Sam Houston State 20. But Connor Cummins missed for the second time, this time from 38 yards out. Um, Then after trading punts to start the second half, uh, Sam Houston State scored on back-to-back long touchdown drives to tie the score up at 21-21. The Owls had a shot to put together a game-winning drive with just under four minutes to go, but but a Jonathan Murphy interception set up the Bearcats at their own 46. And then after a horrific offsides penalty on a fourth and three that gave Sam Houston State a first down with under two minutes to go, uh, the Bearcats would be able to set up a game-winning field goal from 35 yards out, and their kicker, Mr. Colby Sesmus, hit it as time expired. So I'm a, I'm going to give John the floor to uh, just start us off with initial thoughts on how uh, Saturday went. Well, my initial thought, and you guys are probably not watching on video, but uh, Kai has a Lance Stevenson uh, jersey in his room, and that's just distracted the hell out of me. I have a lot of questions about that and sort of want to blow in somebody's ear right now, but I guess I'll stick to uh, stick to football. Um, so my my initial thoughts on this game were, you know, we'll say I'll say it, a tale of two halves. And, you know, I'm sure Coach Coach Nick was going to say that one, too. Um, we jump out on them. You know, who the hell is this team in the first half? You know, they're playing good. But I think we all knew that the other shoe was going to drop eventually. Um, I tweeted, I think, before the fourth quarter, you know, here's two teams that don't know how to win. Somebody's got to win. And somebody did win. Uh, there were there were some key plays that I'm sure we're going to discuss that uh, could have gone if they I think, if you know, two or three plays went different ways. We might be talking an owl. The owls win. We squeaked it out. 
But the important thing is we did not score in the second half. So I'm not going to pity us and, you know, you know, blame, you know, the P- Tyler Scott or CJ Donaldson or, you know, whoever was called for that stupid penalty earlier. You know, I'm not going to play that game. The Owls, you know, need if we scored a touchdown in the second half or even hit our field goals, you know, we win that game. And uh, that's my thoughts. And uh, what do you think, Coach Nick? Yeah, definitely a tale of two halves. The first half we came out, moved the ball, had some explosive plays. Uh, defense played well, you know, gave up one. I'm going to half up 21-7, feeling good about things. And then, you know, we nothing really seemed to click after that. And there was a couple of penalties, obviously the the offside on fourth down that gave the, gave Sam Houston a chance to get another 15, 20 yards, kick a game-winning field goal. But then the, the unsportsmanlike on – uh, I, I can't remember what the down and distance was, but the unsportsman, like, I think it was on third and like 11 uh, down in the red zone, gave Sam Houston a first down, um, which they ended up scoring, you know, a couple plays later after that. So t- two critical penalties on the defensive side of the ball, but yeah, not scoring in the second half. Uh, Sam Houston making all the adjustments that we did not have a counter to. So, um, you know, and the kicking woes have continued, which is unfortunate because I thought, we kind of made a little bit of progress, but, you know, 0 for 2. I know that the first one was a pretty long one, was at 48, uh, but the the second one, and they never showed a replay on the uh, on the broadcast. I couldn't tell. It looked like it may have been tipped, but, I mean, it never even made it to the uh, never made it to the upright, so it, m- it must have gotten hit at the, hit the line. It was yeah. either hit at the line or it was just an, a mishit with a very insanely low trajectory, and I think being tipped at the line has a much more higher probability of that happening. It looked like it was tipped at the line just looking at the spin of the ball. I mean, it just kind of knuckleballed through the air. Uh, yeah. Super weird-looking kick. So, um, you know, we can give them the benefit of the doubt, but, you know, you got to get the ball higher up than that. Um, I Just like you said, John, neither of these teams looked like they knew how to win. And for me, it was a question of whether or not Sam Houston State was going to be able to get out of their own way because they could not for the life of them in that first half. <laughs> I mean, three turnovers on like just four or five drives right at the gate. And I think two of them were very avoidable. Um, so I, you know, deep into the third quarter, I thought we had a chance to win that game because I don't know if they were going to be able to uh, pass the uh, 21 point mark. Um, so there were good things that happened. I thought Michael Benefield had another great game. He goes over 100 yards rushing for uh, the third straight time. He's going to be a really fun player to watch next year. When we get uh Benyard back, we're going to have a really solid backfield. Um, you know, I, Murphy had his exciting touchdown round. He didn't throw the ball particularly well, but he's been out of it. He hasn't played in, you know, well over a month. So you kind of chalk it up to that. So that's what I had on it. So moving on just overall, I'll get y'all's opinion on this encouraging result or discouraging result. Um, that's what I wanted to talk about next. There's two different ways of looking at this. We can be encouraged that it was a close game and that we almost won, but, you know, also can be discouraged by the result, but, you know, would you rather it be this or would you rather get destroyed again? Like many people, including myself, probably thought might happen. Um, I guess that just depends on your perspective. Um, what do you, what's your take coach? I was encouraged. Um, that we were kind of playing with a team that has made the transition up to where we're going next year. I know that they're an O for, they were O and eight, but um, you know, anytime you make a jump, it's, you never really know. I mean, I think John and I were talking about this Georgia state was what one in one in 10 or something like that the year before they moved up um, to FBS and they're have they've had quite a bit of success. So you really don't know what the growing pains are going to look like, but to come out and kind of dominate like we did in the first half was super encouraging. I think that, just whatever is in this team's DNA this year, whether it's us 
you know, our kids kind of maybe they're checked out because there's nothing to play for. There's two games left. You know, we got this one, we have this one, and then Virginia Lynchburg. And I, I don't know, there's something about this team's DNA that, like like Kai mentioned, just didn't feel like that we knew how to win. Um, and it was discouraging to see us lose yet again on a, on a long field goal, even though we continue to have the kicking woes. Um, I just – I the tale of two halves is, is just the perfect synopsis of it. Cause I was super encouraged the first half and then all of that went away after the second half. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting this, this final game out of the way and just moving on. I'm really glad you brought up uh, Georgia state because that's a point that I've been wanting to make um, because when they made the jump up, it looked like a total disaster, you know, as far as facilities went, as far as, you know, their roster went, their coaching staff went, but as long as you have that FBS infrastructure, you know, there's always the potential to grow. And, you know, we might make the jump next year and be just God awful. We might be awful for three years, but, you know, the uh, the room for improvement and the ability to get better is not just going to vanish. You know, it's going to be there. Um, you know, I, I don't know who that's going to be with, whether that be Bo or the next guy. But, you know, it's definitely not something to uh, throw the program away for because we look bad, you know, in our transition years. Um, as far as I go, I would say it's hard to be discouraged with the result just cause it, you know, it's an FBS opponent and we've had a pretty rough year as is, um, you know, still being an FCS. I'm glad we competed. Uh, it, you know, in the first half, it looked like kids wanted to be there. The defense was, you know, excited. Everybody was pushing each other on the sideline from what I could tell. Um, so it was hard for me to be discouraged by the result. It's just the way it happened. I mean, there were so many, there were so many, you know, little things here and there that you could tweak or change that would have changed the outcome of the game. I thought the officiating was really poor. Um, we got screwed over a couple of times. There was a personal foul penalty. I think it was like on a either after a late hit or just something that happened out of bounds. And John, you were talking about this on Twitter, but it, you know, on the broadcast, you couldn't see anything that happened. Um, maybe something was said. And, you know, maybe we can give the refs the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but we were getting screwed all game. Um, it's hard to uh, knock our players for this one. Absolutely. Kai, I 100% agree with you. But I kind of want to pose this question to the panel as a whole because I have a slightly different perspective on the game. But I, I want to get your guys' take on this. This obviously isn't the first time that we've lost a game where we either had control going into the second half and then kind of lost it in the closing minutes, whether it was uh, being undisciplined or just giving up easy plays down the field, you name it. But this has happened in a few of the bigger games now, regardless of like the players on the field. Do you guys think there's any cause for concern in that arena that we haven't kind of learned the lesson of, hey, we're going into halftime with a pretty decent lead. Let's make sure we come out with the same energy in the second half. I think it's just getting experience and, you know, just playing and not thinking as much and just going out and doing it, um, you know, not getting nervous. You know, I'm sure there's elements also of, you know, we don't have all of our guys and that's not an excuse. We still should have won yesterday, but, you know, you know, late in the fourth quarter, you know, it gets a little bit tougher you know, we don't have as many rotations, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I think this is something, you know, Bo's proven that he knows how to get his team to win. So I'm I'm not too concerned about it, but I am interested in hearing y'all's thoughts. Um, I'll go first. It's, um, I think something people need to remember is the guys who aren't redshirting this year or are redshirting and are playing their four games. Um, they, you know, were underclassmen and in the two deep if they did play on some of you know Bo's winning teams just a couple years back you know they 
they haven't really been in this position before. Um, they've been on two not great football teams. Um, so I, I think it does come with experience. Doesn't mean they can't be great football players and can't put it all together. Um, but there is a lack of winning experience that we haven't really seen before. And I do think that matters. Yeah. To piggyback on what you're talking about, Kai, the, what we win the conference back to back in 17 and 18. Uh, and then we don't win it again until 2021. Um, and I think that that occurred then as well. I think that the success of the program, the quick success, um, there were kids on the team who were underclassmen that had not kind of earned the, you know, the, they just kind of showed up and it was like, oh, we're a winning program right right now as a freshman. So they just kind of that culture was kind of already established. I think when it came time for those guys to be the ones to be putting in the work, to be making the plays on Saturdays, I think that maybe all of a sudden it wasn't there because as soon as they got there, the program was successful. It was a third round FCS team every year. Um, so that's something that I know that our roster turnover was huge before that 2021 season. There were some guys that uh, either transferred out or we, we let go of that um, I think were harming the culture. I don't know that that's going on now, um, but it, it is interesting to look at like when you have a team that goes back to back and then you have a skid for two, three, four years, and then all of a sudden you, you have that resurgence, there is a huge culture shift. Another thing that I was thinking about too, as we were talking, Nick brought up a, uh, producer Nick brought up a, a good point. In the second half, three of the four drives that we had on offense were less than four plays. Um, in years past, when we ran under center triple, you knew that if you were down two scores to us, to, to an option team, you may not, you may not get the ball three times, three possessions in the second half. We may hold the ball for eight, 10, 12 plays a possession and just suffocate you to death and, and not give you the, the ball back. And so when offensive coordinators feel like, okay, they're going to be limited on possessions in the second half, they're going to start doing things a little more aggressively. They're going to start taking deeper shots. They're going to start trying to get really creative. And that's where you can kind of, exploit what what teams are trying to do instead of letting them kind of continue to run their base offense so I think that I, I don't know what the numbers are but I'd be interested to see how many plays we're we're defending this year versus last year uh with the new offense of uh, us not holding the ball quite as long our time of possession things like that um and again in a 21 to 7 game even if we didn't score in the second half as an option team back in the day I mean that may have been enough right and um I think it works heavily in Bo's favor uh, to have the the winning culture and experience behind him like he's been in big games and he's won big games and he, I think level is a little overrated in that regard I mean for example look at uh Lance Leopold at Kansas I think that's how you say his name I mean the guy was a dominant d3 head coach you know and then he climbs the ranks and you know he's at Kansas probably the toughest job in America you know and he's got them winning <laughs> you know I think they're seven and two right now. Um, so Bo knows how to win and he knows how to implement that winning culture. And I think that's something that fans are forgetting and missing because of how hard the last two years have been. Yeah. And if you can coach, you can coach. If you can lead men, you can lead men. I think the piece we're going to have to figure out is, you know, getting guys that fit our offense and building around that. Um, you know, we have it's just something we're going to have to start from, you know, start from scratch now, um, so to speak, in Conference USA. Right. And something, um, something else to think about, too, not to cut you off there, Kai, is like Sam Houston, though they were 0 and 8, that's a, a, a storied program. Like we lost them in 2017 in the third round of the FCS playoffs. They had the back to back Walter Payton Award winner at quarterback. Um, they, they they played it played for a, a national championship what two two seasons ago. It's a very very good program. So I, I think that them being zero and eight this year is not a, is not indicative of how good of a football program that is. Um, so it's definitely a testament to our guys for being toe to toe with you know a pretty historical good program. 
Yeah, and they played 0-8 like they were 0-8 in the first half. Uh, in the second half, they kind of, you know, everything kind of came alive. Um, so I think the first half was that just that perfect situation, you know, both Owls playing very well, playing very hard, Sam Houston sleepwalking. In the second half, things kind of got reset. We just let them slowly get back in it until, you know, we couldn't pull until they pulled away. I mean, yeah, they were just an absolute mess. I mean, I tweeted out during the game that they looked just embarrassingly horrible. And I really want to emphasize that that doesn't take anything away from our guys because our guys did look really good in the first half, um, really on both sides of the ball. Um, but yeah, Sam Houston State just looked like an absolute disaster. And then it was like in the second half, they kind of figured out that they were the better team on the field. And, <laughs> you know, things just started working. They had some consistency. They had trouble with uh, some of their snaps in the first half. And I think their uh, center guy who, who got banged up in the first half came back in the game. Um, and that kind of settled some things down for him. Um, but something I want to talk about, uh, not only in this game, but just the season as a whole, is uh, how underrated our defense has been. Um, quick stat for you, other than the Furman game and Furman, you know, won uh, SoCon and is currently top five in FCS. We have not given up 30 points, um, assuming Virginia Lynchburg doesn't, you know, catch fire against us. We haven't given up 30 points. Um, I want to ask y'all, do y'all feel like this is a waste of a defensive performance this year? And do they deserve more flowers for how well they played? I'm saying I'd say no. I mean, I mean, if you listen to Bo's press conference last week, he said they had what 61 mental errors or something like that on defense. Um, the defense has been playing pretty good, but you know, when it got, when it came down to it and it got tested, um, you know, it hasn't led to wins. So, you know, we, we need to get the wins before we, you know, really start talking about wasted performances, that sort of thing. But I, but I do think a lot of the guys played well. Um, you know, Gerard Woods looked good. Markeith Montgomery, Sidney Porter had some crazy tackles yesterday. You know, um, Adam Watkins has made some plays the past couple weeks. Jordan Miles had a big sack off the top of my head. DeAndre Morris throughout the entire year. Jerico Washington in the four games he's played. I mean, guys have, you know, Juan Silas made a nice play. Like, guys have stepped up from time to time. It just... You know, again, we need some consistency, some regularity, some, and that's what's going to come back next year. And I think that's, you know, I think guys are going to hopefully, um, you know, know their role a little bit better. And uh, before I move on, you know, um, we have a stat here from uh, producer Nick. Um, we had 58 plays per game in 2021 and 69 plays per game this year. So uh, a nice uh, round number right there. Um, What's your take on that, guys? Reminder, sorry, this is their stat. This is the, opposing teams. Oh, okay, this yeah, my opposing fault. teams. My fault. Yeah, I think a big part of that is our offense's inability to stay on the field. And you know, when you're sending guys out on defense over and over and over again, there's only so much they can do. Um, and how many three and outs have we had this year? Um, just like in the middle of games, you know, between like early in the second quarter and late in the third, it's like we wake up uh, early in the game and late in the game. Um, we've come out hot a few times and we've closed hot a few times, you know, Chattanooga comes to mind, uh, Charleston Southern comes to mind. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's definitely a, a matter of the offense's inability to stay on the field. To, to answer your original question, Kai, I don't think it's a waste of a defensive performance this season. I think that in a, in a year where you're going to transition, that's when you need to rely heavily on on your defense. When you're going to transition to a new offense, when you're going to transition to a new league. Um, the, the stat is interesting. So we're, we have to defend 11 more plays a game, and that's with the clock rule change, which was taking out about four plays a game. So it could be about 15 more snaps a game is what it feels like. 
you know, defensively, that's a, that's a big deal. You give a, a team 15 more times to snap the ball and score in a 21 to seven game when you force three turnovers, you know, I, I think I, I do feel like that's a significant stat to keep in mind of we're not used to playing that many snaps defensively. Um, and that when we have gotten up to leads in years past, even, even like the Furman game in 25th or 2016, I think we were up 49, 14 at halftime or 42, 14 at halftime. And we were abysmal in the second half and still won just because we could eat clock with what we were doing. Uh, we, we could still limit possessions. Um, I think that when, like, like Nick said, when you're, three or four possessions in the second half only have four, have four less plays. You're, you're just giving it an offense time to get into rhythm and to, and to find a way to come back. Whereas we go out, even if we go out and go eight, nine plays, but only go 35 yards and punt, well, we took six minutes off the clock. We took their offense off the field for six minutes. That's six less minutes that they had to, to, to get back into rhythm. And it seemed like they were on the field a lot more in the second half than we were. So obviously the, the rhythm is going to start to come along. I want to add in one more stat to that. The final touchdown drive from Sam Houston. So that was their second to last drive of the game. That was a 16 play 80 yard drive that lasted nine minutes and 24 seconds. Brutal. Wow. Brutal. And and they were moving the ball on us. Some um, as all second half. I mean, even some, I think in the first half, but yep. luckily we got the, uh, you know, some turnovers to offset that a lot of stuff happened in the game to, you know, just interesting how, you know, things can change um, based on little things. So, for example, what what if Connor Cummins makes that first field goal? Then we don't get that, uh, you know, that sack fumble, get it the five-yard line, get that touchdown right there. Um, right. You know, what if Bo chose to kick it when it was 7 nothing and make it, you know, 10 nothing instead of go for it on fourth down and get the touchdown? There's just so many, you know, things that could have changed the circumstance. But, um, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out for the better. Yeah, I mean, and that's just football. You can't get too lost in theoreticals. You know, what happened, yeah. happened. Um, I thought the way Bo called the game was pretty predictable. Um, we'll get into the kicking situation a little bit in a minute here. Um, but I didn't have a problem with most of his calls. I liked the aggressiveness uh, going for it on fourth down when we had the ball down on the three. So I'm glad we did that. And it paid off, you know. It's like, worst case, uh, we turned the ball over uh, inside their own five and their stagnant offense has to go 95 yards or whatever it is to get in the end zone. So all about it um question i want to pose to you guys just continuing with the theme there was a twitter user whose name i do not remember but i believe he might be a listener um so shout out to him and we wouldn't name him anyways but he said that this was the worst loss in kennesaw state football history um we all unanimously disagree with this take but i want to know why y'all think that is not the case and what your candidates are for the worst loss in ksu history do we get like any kind of like drum roll and like award at the end of that once we determine who the winner is? It's entirely um, up to Mr. Mr. Producer Nick. Or actually it would be a, who the loser is. Um, but no, I my nominees probably would be um East Tennessee State in the I believe was it the 2021 um playoffs. We were up 31-17 with five minutes left. Um I'm sorry. And then they scored with 128 to play, making it 31-24. They recovered an onside kick, so they started the KSU 48 with one timeout and 126 to play. Now, keep in mind, this was in, like, the first round of the playoffs. This isn't just a regular season game. They drive down the field um, to make it, uh, was it, 31-30 uh, Owls? And then, instead of kicking it for overtime, they go for the two-point conversion, and, and they make it. Brutal. Um 
my next one that, you know, ETSU as well. I think it was at home. I remember being in these stands. That's how I know it was at home. I think it was like, uh, I don't know if Nick was there. It was like a 2016, three, three overtime, four overtime game or something like that. It was just, it was just brutal. Um, another thing that comes to mind, I know was 2016 was a 28, seven loss to Charleston Southern. I think that was de facto for the conference, that one. Um, and then the only other nominees I could really think of, um, I know you guys have a different one in mind. I'll let you guys cover that one, but, um, the two games against Monmouth, like, was it two years in a row that we just got our asses handed to us? Um, you know, one of them being more unexpectedly, I think the first one. Um, so that was pretty rough as well, but when all said and done my nominee, and hopefully I can sway some of you guys on this one was the ETSU uh, playoff game. For me, it was the ETSU playoff game. I mean, I, I stopped yes. watching. I stopped watching with like whatever it was, four minutes, five minutes to go when we were up 31, 17 or whatever it was. And my my dad texted me like 20 minutes later and was like, wow, how did we lose that? And I, I was shocked. Um, so I didn't even see it unfold. I had to go back and watch it and just relive the misery. Um, no, that that one was brutal. Um, I know people have talked about the Weber State game um, from the 2019 season, playoff season. Um, out there, we should have that one won, and then, yeah, I mean the the couple Monmouth games where we got embarrassed, those were those were tough. But the the ETSU playoff game, that one really sticks sticks in my craw as the worst one in, in history in our history. What were you doing that was so important for those last five minutes? I think our listeners want to know. They're they're on the edge of their seats. I was at a a, ba- a baby shower for my my good buddy. Uh, I was there, and uh, it was also the day of the SEC championship game, I believe. So it was Georgia Alabama, and uh, Georgia lost to Alabama that day. So yeah. So is there Stuff some correlation on. between you stop watching and ETSU winning? There has to be. Has to be. And your uh, your touchdown was against ETSU, was it not? Yeah, yeah, 2015 I had I had a pick six against ETSU and then um we 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 I mean we trounced them what was it 56 16 or something yeah it, it was not even close and then they came to our place in 2016 and like like John said um it was a like a double overtime game what's crazy about that game and I'll tell the story I hope he's okay with me telling the story uh Chandler Burks we're we're sitting in the team meeting the night before I believe and Sterling Brown, you know, um, gives his message, you know, our, our head chaplain, and he's talking about, um, you know, has anyone had any any dreams lately? Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what the message was, but Chandler Burks was the backup at the time. Trey White was the starter, and Chandler Burks stands up and goes, I dreamt I threw a touchdown pass. And we were all like, okay, cool. Like, you know, he's a backup quarterback, whatever. Like, didn't even think anything of it. And Trey White got hurt in the game, and Chandler Burks threw a touchdown on fourth and goal to force overtime or double overtime that night or, or the next night, and it was just – it was a wild thing, and, and Ch- you know Chandler became Chandler after that. Um, we all know how good, good, how great of a just person and player he was. But it was that was a wild thing for Chandler to stand up and say for a triple option quarterback, to, backup quarterback, to be like, "Yeah, I dreamt I threw a touchdown pass last night," and, and the next day it happened to, to get us into overtime. This is like his origin story, his MCU uh, <laughs> origins here. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like the universe is just playing a weird joke on us uh, between you know you scoring that touchdown and then you know you not watching i feel like something is linked here but i think uh producer nick did you have something to say there i would only add one additional game and i, I will also agree etsu was the worst it was I, I was at the game with the whole band and that one was very deflating but another game that i was at 
again with the whole band was our first game ever against an FBS opponent, which was Georgia State back in 2018. And we were leading that, or we were tied with them at halftime, 14-14. We had put, I think it was two field goals in the third quarter, and we had the lead, and then we gave up a touchdown and a field goal at the end of the game to uh, to end up losing that one. And that was a 24-20 loss. And again, that just that FBS, we, we never got the FBS win before we got up to the next level. So looking back on that one, the Kent State one, the Sam Houston one, like those all kind of sting a little bit, but uh, hopefully good, uh, good, good omens ahead for potential wins against FBS teams in the future. Right. I mean, at least, you know, you're playing with house money when you're playing an FBS opponent, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have not been around as long as you guys have. This is only my first year seriously following KSU football. So, um, you know, I just looking at the results, I've done my research, but I got to go with the ETSU game as well, just because of the stakes and how it happened. Um, so, yeah, that's all I got on that. Um, moving on. Oh, I got something. I, I just want to say I got Continue. some persuasive powers over here. You know, I, I, I want to think that it's not just the game. It was my power of persuasion that made all of you agree with me. Well, well, like I said, off the air, to be fair to, uh, you know, Mr. Twitter user, there are only 30 losses to choose from, <laughs> you know, and some of them are you know, a lot more obvious than others. So, you know, it was pretty easy to narrow down. And I do want to say on that Georgia State game, um, I, I'm not the type of guy that you know, remembers everything about every single game. I'm terrible with that. Um, I can barely remember what happened in yesterday's game, but I remember Georgia State, we just shot ourselves in the foot over and over. We should have won. And it was like, I get eerie feelings when I think about that game because it was in literally the skeleton of Turner Field. Um, I don't know if, I assume it's been built up now, but it was like Turner Field was just like torn down at the time and like, all the things you used to know and love were gone. And it was just some depressing like autopsy of Turner field. Do you guys, did you guys get that feeling? Yep. 100%. I did. I did. I, I watched on TV. I was coaching at Washington at the time. It was my first, uh, first year away from Kennesaw. And I remember watching feeling like we shot ourselves in the foot, but also they were, they were showing like what all they were doing to transition it to Georgia state stadium. It just, it just, I, I've never, I've never liked that stadium. It's, you know, so many fond memories of Turner field. I love Truist now, but which actually contrasts really well. My favorite win in Kennesaw state football history is the five overtime game against Jacksonville state at Truist park. So it's funny that those two kind of both came up. That is, that is actually pretty hilarious. Cause I, I and I would assume that's probably over 75% of owls fans favorite win as well. Um, but yeah, that's all I got on that one. I am. Um, I'm scared to go back there because I haven't been since uh, Georgia State's moved in there. I went to like the eighth to last game at Turner Field and that place, you know, was very special to me. So I've been scared to go back there, but uh, I've got family at GSU. So I'm going to have to go to some graduations. Um, that's where they hold it. So it's going to have to happen at some point. But um, I think there's literally ghosts in there. Like that's how creepy it felt. You guys <laughs> were not there. Like, like imagine if you weren't there, like imagine going to your favorite store that you go up, grew up every day, you know, going to every year, multiple times, having great memories and like a Toys R Us. And then you walk in there and all the toys are gone. It's stripped bare, you know, and how depressing is that? But again, I'll, I'll get off of my soapbox right now. <laughs> yeah, we could talk all day about Turner Field. I'm sure we are. We're all, we're all Atlanta boys here. Um, anyways, so 
I want to start talking about the kicking situation a little bit. So Connor Cummins goes 0 for 2. I think he had one from 49 and one from 38. Uh, the 38 one we think was either tipped or just mishit or something. It was a bad miss. It landed short. Um, the one that bothered me more was the fact that we attempted from 49 when I think we've hit one from, you know, that distance all year. And it's become, you know, a glorified turnover every time we go out and do it. I just don't get it. Um, like you said, John, to me while the game was happening and, you know, on the podcast, um, it turned out well, you know, they ended up fumbling and we get set up well and, you know, it ends up being the right call. Um, but I just, I don't understand continuing to send him out there for these 40 plus yard kicks when he flat out can't hit them. Um, I think Connor Cummins is an okay kicker from 40 yards in. Um, and I'll stand by that. He's been more or less consistent throughout his whole career from that range. And then he hits one from 50 last year. And, you know, all of a sudden the coaches are like, okay, you know, that's his range when it clearly isn't. Um, so that's frustrating. We got a kicker committed uh, in Gray Kelly. He's got a monster leg, but I'm not wowed by him. I've seen him play a couple of times at Alatoona in person. Um, going to stay optimistic, but I don't think, you know, we're, we have an all American on our hands. Um, so I just want to throw this out there to you guys. Um, why is the kicking situation so bad as it currently is and how do we address it? Um, well, I probably honestly would have kicked the first field goal. I'm not going to lie, um, or attempted it, you know, you gotta see if he has his fastball today. And, you know, again, I wasn't watching the warmups, you know, I couldn't make that call if the coaches saw the warmups and Hey, he's not missing it. He doesn't have his stuff today. You know, obviously don't put him out there, but if he was hitting in his, in pregame, yeah, I would give it a shot. We need to get the points all of that kind of stuff. How do we address it? We get a new kicker. We get multiple new kickers. We don't just get a freshman kicker and hope for the best. We pull somebody out of the transfer portal like um, what's like Chattanooga did with Gray Kelly's brother, Jude. Um, we, I mean, we have another guy on the roster. Obviously, they have no faith in him because he hasn't been out there yet. Um, our our rookie, Ulrich, he's, he's going to be a punter from what we've seen. He's not a yep. kicker. You know, maybe he can, you know, kick some extra points or short field goals in absolute emergencies, but we don't want to, you know, have him working double duty. Get another kicker, you know, figure out, hey, is it the, you know, is, the, is our long snapper good enough? Uh, maybe there has to be like a fifth McCracken brother or something that we can bring in. I don't know. Um, but we need to figure something out. Um, but you know what? I'm just an idiot. Uh, go. Let's go to Coach Nick. Yeah, kicking is one of the most frustrating things about coaching football is because it's so different than everything else. You can't fix it with, you know, over aggression or, you know, uh, conditioning, right? Like, you know, you didn't you didn't make that block, you know, more up downs, right? So competition for sure. Uh, competition always brings out, hopefully, uh, the best in people. I just think it's it's kind of par for the course for how the year's gone. We've been needing that signature moment, that signature win to turn the season around to, to get that, you know, the, 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 what's the, the term I'm trying to say, I'm stumbling all over myself here. Uh, the monkey off her back, right. To say like, you know, okay, things are better now. And we're, we're waiting for that to happen. And it, it just hasn't come. Um, and then, and then to make it, to make things worse, uh, ET, not ETSU, Tennessee, uh, Tennessee tech and so many others have beaten us on field goals. Charleston Southern beats us on a 48 yard field goal, uh, as time expires. So it, it just, it's adding insult to injury that we're missing, you know, some long ones, but also some, some short ones that are affecting the outcome of games of not taking points off of a drive and teams are beating us at the last second with a, with a 40 plus yard field goal. It just, it, it's totally backward. 
We've lost three games this year on last minute field goals. It was Furman, Charleston Southern, and Sam Houston State, unless I'm forgetting one. Yeah. Does anyone recall the down and distance of the first field goal attempt? I think it was fourth and seven or fourth and eight. Yeah, I think I do. I think I would still kick it um, there. Um, just based on kind of the where we were in the game, I think we, I think I would still kick the first one. Um, because like you said, you, you watch him pregame and it's like, okay, he's hitting, he's hitting it good today. What's our number? Our number is he's 49 and in there or 50 and in, whatever it is. Um, uh, and the, the announcers did mention that there was a bit of a breeze too. So he may have been, he may have had a little tailwind, uh, kicking in that direction. Um, but I'll also say I cannot stand that stadium. Just a little sidebar. I hate that stadium. Their track protrudes all the way into the the bench. Um, and it, and it feels like a high school stadium because it has a track around it and the press box stinks, everything about it. I can't stand. So I just want to get that out there. Probably smaller than several high school stadiums out there in Texas. In Texas. Yeah, exactly. Have you been Nick or are you just noticing on TV? No, I've been, that was my, my year that I GA'd uh, for coach oh, okay. Newberry was 2017. And that's who we lost to in the third round. Had we won, uh, we would have played North Dakota state the next week. Gotcha. I forgot you were a GA. I was just thinking 2016 and done. Awesome. Yeah, no, 17 was my last year with the program. So uh, 17, we flew out there, played them at, at like seven 30 or eight o'clock central time, which is nine o'clock our time. You know, we lose like by either a touchdown or 10 points. It was close all game. It was a really good game. And like I mentioned earlier, they had the, back-to-back Walter Payton Award winner at quarterback. So he was an absolute stud. Uh, and then we had to fly back out of the college station at like mm-hmm. 2 a.m. and get, get we got we didn't get back to Kennesaw till like 7 or 8 in the morning the next day. Brutal. Yeah. They made yeah, you all fly back the sick. night of. That's crazy. Always. Always yeah. get come right back. Yeah, yeah, that quarterback was sick. He was just throwing darts like 20 yards down the field, like in tight windows. And, and they had that defensive lineman, I think, like PJ Hall yep. or something like that. Um, that was just blowing us up the whole game. Both uh, Josh and Luke McCown went to Sam Houston State. Don't know if y'all knew that. Yeah, Josh Two. McCown. Uh, yeah, PJ Hall plays for the Raiders, is who you're you're referring to, uh, John. He's a really good player. Yeah. So my issue is with it is just like I I get what you're saying, John. As in, like you got to see if he has his stuff every week. But it feels like we've done that four or five times, and it's come back to bite us. You know, so at some point you just got to say like, okay, he doesn't have the confidence or the facilities. It's certainly not the leg. We know he has the leg, but you know, he's not hitting them. Uh, to me, it feels like a turnover and you know, I'll, I'll stand on that. Um, but we don't spend too much time um, harping on our kickers because we do need them to do well. There were a few critical points in the game um, that really felt like they changed the momentum. Just a few that come to mind were the uh, personal foul um, deep inside Kennesaw State territory that led to a, you know, Sam Houston State touchdown. Um, something happened on the sideline. We didn't know what it was, as we mentioned earlier. Um, it was. They don't even know who it was, Kai. It was just a weird moment. Maybe something was said um, that we didn't see. Maybe something happened off camera. Um, I have no idea, but it uh, bailed Sam Houston State out. And then another moment was, um, like I said, you know, we have stopped on fourth and three it doesn't look like they have any intention of snapping the ball they're kind of just sitting out there you know walking through the motions um half-assing it on offense sam houston state and you know we jump with uh, a second or two seconds left on the play clock um and that you know really really threw us off and uh ended up costing us the game i also want to point out that we jumped on the previous drive before the one or it was yeah the previous drive was a freshman C.J. Donaldson. It was a third and three around the 30, and he jumped off sides uh, right there as well. I think the play you're referring to was the more memorable one because of when it happened. Um, I was going crazy. I was just like, please don't jump. Please don't jump. I'm just saying they're not going to – like I was yelling at the TV. They're not going to snap the damn ball. Do not jump. They are going to call a timeout. 
Um, but, uh, you know, Tyler Scott uh, jumped off sides on fourth and three. Um, you know, to me, that one is less forgivable, uh, not just because of when it happened, but because he's a veteran player, whereas Donaldson's a freshman. Um, you got you to gotta know better, know situa- situationally, like, you know, like, hey, they're not going to snap it. They're not going to snap it. And, you know, if they do want to snap it, you know, God bless them. They're rushing it. And, you know, good luck getting off a good play. Um, yeah. That was that it's always tough to watch a D lineman, you know, jump and especially when it's fourth and less than five. Um, just like you said, a veteran player in a big, t- big time in the game, big moment in the game, understanding, you know, they're, they, I think they had already gone on the clap a few times before that too, and then checked to the sideline, then came back. So nobody, nobody jumped on the initial attempt. And then they kind of, you know, just like we used to do, um, you know, we, we'd send a guy in arc motion on, on our, in our triple offense. And, you know, then everyone looked at the sideline, then we do it again. Since one in arc motion, we do it three or four times trying to get somebody to jump that, that one hurt. But the, the one on the, on the sideline, I still cannot figure out. I don't know. They ever gave us a number. Um, even when they showed multiple different angles of it, it was a, you know, it was a tough, tough tackle out of bounds. They had those stupid like banners or whatever you call them, the advertisement deals on the sideline right there on their track. Cause the track is so close to the field. Um, and so the guy kind of got tackled, the, the Sam Houston player got tackled into it. And so you don't see any extra hit. You don't see any extra pushing, shoving. If anything, the Sam Houston state guard comes in and kind of starts throwing bows and stuff, trying to get in there. And, but the flag had already been thrown before that. So I could, I could not point out who, who it was on. And you just kind of see coach Bo turn and look at and as someone on the sideline. You see him say like, what did you do? And Bo didn't really have a reaction. So I, I I, I didn't understand that one. And that was on third and third and long and ended up giving Sam Houston the ball first and goal after that. So that should have been a, a field goal drive that ended up turning into a touchdown. And I think it was Danilius Johnson who made the tackle. Um, it wasn't a late hit out of bounds because no, was I don't think bounds. they called it. I don't think they called it on him. I think they called it on someone else, which makes it no sense. They called it an I, unsportsmanlike. It wasn't. I thought I, I thought I heard an eight from the ref, but the microphone didn't work. And Danilius, I think, is forty eight. And I think they gave it in the stats to Dylan Hand, who's the safety. That's what I saw when I looked in the live stats as I was following along because I didn't know who the hell it was. So I have honestly no idea. I'm perplexed. The fact that this was called is kind of insane to me. Um, again, you know, even if it if it was called, you know, we had them we had them at fourth and five anyway on the goal line. Um, you know, Watkins had them, you know, on, on the run, and then he just throws a prayer for the touchdown. So this could have been a moot point. Our defense really stepped up there, and you know, it's just unfortunate. You know, their quarterback. Let's not take it away from him. He made some great throws and they made some great catches. Those weren't just dink and dunk passes there. Mm-hmm. You know, he made, he had to make some plays and our defense made them make some plays. And unfortunately they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that play up because um, it was like, we made this great defensive stop and we defend that play really well. We get him out of the pocket. He's running around. It doesn't look like he has anywhere to go. He just throws up a lob receiver makes a great catch. You know, we have three or four guys there and, um, and that was just totally deflating at that point. That's when you knew that we were probably going to, you know, drop the game um, just because it's like, that's a, that's a tough thing to bounce back from. And our, our defense gave it all they had on that drive. So. Yeah. And if you've watched any KSU games this year, you, when he threw that ball, you knew it was going to like be caught somehow. If it had to hit off like five helmets in a row and just fall into somebody's lap, catching it behind his back, it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah. Just our, our uh... luck. 
our buddy, uh, Mr. Zoltan Osborne at Charleston Southern did that probably, you know, two or three times on third and long against us. So, you know, you're absolutely right on that. Well, our boy Zoltan, I think he's, isn't he out for the year or suffer a serious injury lately? He got, he got destroyed a game or two ago. Um, but I think they've won a few games this year. I think Charleston Southern sitting at four and five. Yeah, they just won yesterday. (laughs) So I think they're down to QB three because he was QB two. But yeah, enough talking about Charleston Southern. They don't, you know, deserve any other attention on our podcast other than their <laughs> week. Um, but yeah, so next question. So uh, we've got one more game left. Um, it's a home game, senior day, um, against a uh, obviously inferior opponent in Virginia Lynchburg. You know, another unaffiliated team, not NCAA, uh, not NAIA, um, a team that we should beat by forty. Will we? Uh, probably not. You know, judging how the Lincoln game with. Uh, that being said, what do we? gain from this game what do we look for and more importantly do we start murphy on senior day or do we give bryson another shot to see if he can maybe do something um that we didn't see against lincoln i would start jonathan murphy it is senior day you have to start jonathan murphy and you have to win this game if anything just for momentum going into the offseason as pointless as this game is we have to win this um so what i would do i give murphy the first half Um, if we're at a point where the game, you know, we're up three scores, something like that, you know, I'd put in, uh, Davis Bryson, um, and, you know, I'd consider putting in Bryson in the fourth quarter something like that. Um, but you know, I, I just, at this point, I just, we're not even good enough to where we can risk, you know, sitting Murphy and, you know, hoping right now. So what's your take, Kai? Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is like, if you're up big in the second half, which I think they will be, especially if Murphy plays, um, then you can pull him out and get him a little ovation, you know, as he ends his career as an owl, um, you know, get him, get him his one final run out there. And then if we are up big, you know, you give Bryson, you know, one more run. Cause um, I don't want to give up on him as a player or a quarterback yet, but we're all kind of in the same um, state of mind where we think that he's not who we should be committing to next year um, at the quarterback position. So, I'm not against getting him more reps, but I think Murphy should absolutely start. Yeah, you got to start this the you know the senior on senior day who embodies everything about what the program stands for, his work ethic, right? His his leadership, his just his character. You, you have to give that to him. But I would love to see them kind of give him the curtain call like you're talking about, Kai, of you know, whether it's third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever, kind of pulling him off, letting everybody, you know, kind of a, a passing of the baton, so to speak, to you know, the next guy or just, you know that that's a cool moment you know it would be nice if, if the season had gone a little better kind of have the the Stetson Bennett moment where they pulled him and you know everyone stands and all that but I do think that uh Murph deserves a start and he should get that that curtain call yeah all right well with that all being said we got one more prompt um so can we use this week's result as any kind of measuring stick for how we stack up against Conference USA competition with everything going on, uh, can we use this as any sort of barometer for next year? This I had to think on this for a minute, but I want to say no, because, you know, Sam Houston is so close to just come, being FCS number one. And number two, they're kind of an outlier in terms of, you know, 0 and 8. Even if even though the games were kind of close, they're still an 0 and 8 team. Um, I am I am much more encouraged than if we had, you know, got blown out, but you know, I, I just don't know how much we can take from this, but it's definitely a positive thing. Um, I liked our effort in the first half, but I just, I just can't like say, okay, you know, maybe, you know, we'll go somewhere. This lines up. 
Yeah, I do think I kind of agree with with what John is saying, but I do think that it is a decent barometer because of the kind of things I mentioned earlier. This is a historically very good football program uh, that is having a, a year like us right now. Um, you know, again, just a couple of years removed from being in the FCS national championship, um, year in, year out, put guys into the NFL, um, have been explosive on offense. Casey Keeler has been their head coach for a very long time. I think that us with everything going on with how our season's gone, the red shirt roulette, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I do think that us coming out and dominating in the first half, forcing three turnovers, scoring 21 points, being in control of the game. I, I, I that was the most encouraging part. Obviously the way it finished sucked, but uh, I do think that it is not an exact barometer of how what Conference USA is going to look like for us next year, uh, but I do think that you, we don't want to take away too much just because they are 0-8, because of the just how successful of a program Sam Houston has been in, in years past. Right. And, you know, John, you mentioned that, you know, the games were close, but um, they didn't win them, and that is important. You know, there is a reason they're 0-8. They are a winless team, but, you know, they were. Yeah. yeah sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, you're right. Um that being said, like they've competed against teams like Liberty and um, UTEP and, you know, other teams we're going to face. So I would say it's a it, it is somewhat encouraging that, you know, our shell of a team where we didn't have everybody healthy and still had guys out redshirting um, was able to play uh, to the level they did against Sam Houston. Um, and it just it gives you that little bit of hope to think like, OK, you know, we might not be the worst next year. So um, that's what I take from it. It's just such a small sample size. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Any either half could be, you know, the first half could, you know, somebody could argue, hey, you know, KSU came out hot and really wanted that win. And Sam Houston was sleepwalking because they didn't respect us or vice versa. You know, we just, you know, we just don't know. I, I just think it's too small of a sample size to really, you know, say one way or the other. But I'm leaning towards no. Um, now, if we played another game against a Conference USA team, then, you know, I think we'd have, you know, I think I'd have more to add. Um, I do think it's great that we hung in there versus Furman and Chattanooga. I think adding those into the equation along with the red shirt roulette and all that, I think that lends more towards perhaps, yes, you know, we, you know, our talent could be there, but again, we have to, we have to win. We can't just hang close and be, you know, just be close enough. All right. With that all being said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, you can find my content on BigOwlBlog.com. Read up. We've got some basketball position previews and uh, more basketball content coming your way. You can find John's website at KSUAlHal.com. He runs some really good message boards um, and keeps track of recruiting. He's got a really good database going on. So check those out. With that all being said, we will back. We will be back to talk to you guys on Thursday with the midweek update. Everybody have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter at KSU Owl Howl and at Big Owl Blog. You can also view additional content on BigOwlBlog.com. And be sure to join the online community of Owl fans at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until our hosts return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, go Owls!